0: Well, you can find the book of Romans a while in your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. I, um, I don't know what to tell you to expect here. I made a bunch of changes in this sermon in the last hour. And so I'm probably gonna be tied to my notes a lot more than I like to be because it's all new to me too. So there's a man, he's in his middle age years was remembering back when he was in junior high school and he was failing in the first marking period now uh, you teachers are in here do how, how do you do you mail the report cards home or how, how do you do that with parents michelle how's that done online online okay Well, once upon a time, the teachers, for whatever reason, would send report cards home with the children and uh, somehow have confidence that they're going to get there safely. Well, this uh, young man was very, uh, very uh, ingenious, and when he saw that report card, he decided he's going to make another report card, and he made one with different grades and he took that home to his mother and for somehow she didn't figure it out must have done a really good job the next marking period was also not a good one and so he made another fake report card took it home to his mother three uh, marking periods he did this he made three fake report cards and somehow his mother is not figuring this out. And I'm, I'm wondering about the teaching that's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking most teachers would have been on the phone, right? With the parents saying, what's going on? But anyway, gets to the end of the year. And he didn't realize that the last report card comes out after the year is over, after the school year is over, and it's mailed home. And he didn't get to it before his mother got to it. And this one's from the school. And his mother is livid at the school. Because after all, her son's been doing well this school year, right? She calls up the school. This is supposedly a true story. Calls up the school and just gives them uh, an earful. And his teacher had retired that year, and he had already thrown out his records, and so the mother took her report cards in, and the school changed all the grades. And here he is in the middle, his middle years, and he says, "I've never told her the truth." Wow. Uh, By the way, if you're young, I don't see any young ones here. If you're young, don't try that. It won't help you. Scripture says that he who knows to do the right and does not do it, (laughs) he is sinning. We're going to talk about obeying God this morning. As Pastor Brandon said, definition of worship that I've given is applauding God for who he is and what he's done. Praises and thanksgiving that are sung prayed and done and so just like we're going to turn kind of take a left turn this morning away from just singing uh, our worship we want to turn away from that in in this message and talk about obeying God worship worshiping God by obeying him and saying that God wants every part of you to live every part of your life for him God wants Every part of me to live every part of my life for him. Uh, Romans chapter 12, first couple of verses. I think uh, I've been anticipating this message uh, for a while uh, because these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And uh, I had such great, uh, such high hopes for them. And it hasn't really really fleshed out that well in my opinion (laughs) when it comes to the message. So pray for yourselves and for me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, and so, dear brothers, don't miss those first two words, and so, that should be a tip-off. We'll get to that later. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy, your bodies, in other words, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Say that last phrase with me, changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray together. God, it is you who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. The scriptures say that you told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. And so we see that you choose to show mercy to some and you choose to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Father, that those words feel like a blow from an iron rod. And yet over the years as we see you in greater and greater glory they become rather the comfort of a warm embrace. And this morning, as we hear your call to us to lay it all down for you, put everything on the line for you, to obey you when it's easy and obey you when it's hard, may this grand truth that you have gone after us, it's not that we've gone after you, you have gone after us first. May that remind us you sought us out, you bought us with the blood of your dear son, and may that change everything about how we think about responding. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to contrast this morning worship of the world with worship of God. In verse 2, <clears throat> Paul says. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Some of the other translations, don't be conformed to this world. I like the NIV's translation, don't be conformed to its pattern, don't imitate its pattern. In other words, day in and day out, you are being asked to think in a certain way. You are being asked to live in a certain way, to function a certain way. The world is telling us there are things that, these are things that you should do and these are things that you shouldn't bother doing. The world is telling us that these are the people that you should pay attention to, they're the important people and these are the people you should ignore. The world is telling us that these are the priorities you should have and there's other things they don't really matter. And it's telling us, this is what you should buy. You watch any uh, television show and we're being bombarded for that half hour or that hour. These are the things that matter in life and that you should spend money on. And essentially telling us these are other things that you shouldn't worry about. and You shouldn't bother spending money on. And tragically, the effect of living life that pattern to, to thinking that way and acting that way is that we are deceived and destroyed. This is the thing that the enemy does not tell us, tell people, that if you go my way, you're going to end up being destroyed. It looks so appealing. It looks so appetizing from the front end. I was, I was reading an article the other week online um, that was written to freshman college girls, And it was giving them advice on how to navigate the very first college party they go to. Fifteen tips on this party, on what to do at the party and what not to do. So I just pulled out a couple of them. I thought I'd share it. I thought it's a a great way to kind of um, show the fraudulence of what the world is offering people. First of all, don't wear anything you care deeply about. And here's why. By this, I mean don't wear that brand-new white crop top you got before this, uh, a week before the semester started, because it will be gross. Between spilled drinks, sweat and potential vomit, anything you wear will need to be washed the next day. So go for cheap crop tops that are easily replaceable. Now I'm, I'm thinking, like, who in their right mind would say, "Oh, that sounds like a blast." spill drinks on my clothes, sweat, and maybe vomit, yours or somebody else's, who knows? And I, you know, I'm such an old guy now. I'm trying to think back to when I was 17 years old because that's how I would have been if I'd have started college right out of high school. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that would have appealed to me even then. And it's interesting that they put in such graphic terms what you might expect. Because I'm like, that would say I'm not going to those pot, any of those parties. No interest. And yet, this is the kind of seduction that the enemy, and through the world, uh, plays with young people. Really, and for any of us, that this is going to be so much fun that the spilled drinks and the sweat and the vomit, you're not going to worry about. Here's another one: Don't go sober. In other words, don't go to the party already sober. Oh, And I've cleaned up the language because it wasn't always the best. Oh, my goodness, nothing is worse than going to a college party sober. Everybody will tick you off, and no doubt you will have a terrible time. (laughs) This party is going to be so awesome that you need to be hammered to enjoy it. Don't pick fights. I'm begging you, don't start fights at parties. Not only are they annoying, they could be dangerous. (laughs) People throwing punches and kicks in a crowded small room equals disaster. Again, I'm thinking, what's the draw? What's the appeal? The last one, don't steal. This one is actually harder than it seems, especially when there's a perfectly good air freshener in in the bathroom that you desperately need for your own bathroom but try to fight the urge because if the hosts find out or see you, you will probably be banned from all future parties. I don't even know what to do with this kind of stuff. But to me, it, it brings to the surface the, the lie that the world tells us that if you go my way, if you go the way... I'm telling you, you make my priorities your priorities. You do what I say to do. You don't do what I say to don't, don't do. That it, you're That going to have a great time. Life's going to be awesome. Lies. Deceptions. And I wonder if some of us would say, at this stage in our life, that the world is currently pitching something our direction, that sounds so good that we're either worshiping it already or we're contemplating worshiping it. Pornography is easy to pick on. And it's a good one to pick on because the statistics, not only outside of the church, but inside the church, are frightening in terms of the number of people, and no longer just men, women as well, frightening the number of people that access pornography regularly. And if you either struggle with it or you have, you know this is true. That when you think about opening that website, going to that spot online, there's a euphoria that comes over you, contemplating it. And yet when you're all done and you've left the site, there is a huge letdown. It's not satisfying like you thought it would be. And it partly is what drives you to the next encounter and the next time, the next sight, because maybe this time it will be as satisfying as you hope it would be. Lies, lies, lies. There's other ones that aren't. Quite as obvious, the person that has victimized and victimized you for years, did you grievous evil, and in your heart you know that you have every right, every right, to think evil thoughts about that person, to refuse to forgive, to live a life of hostility toward that person. You know that. And yet it's a lie as well. So again, I wonder, what is the world currently pitching you that sounds so good that you are either worshiping it or you're contemplating it? And again, maybe you want to slip out at some point during the message and go to the prayer room and talk with the Lord about that that is not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is to steer us away from worship that the world says we should do and and instead worship God. And he starts out saying that we should present ourselves, our bodies, as a sacrifice to God. Now, he's not talking just here about the skin and the muscles and the skeleton. Uh, He's talking about our whole being, that, that all of us, you know, that every part of us should be given to God as a sacrifice for him. A living and a holy sacrifice. It's kind of interesting when you think about the, the Jewish sacrificial system that Paul would have been intimately familiar with, grew up with. To speak about a sacrifice as a living sacrifice. Because what did you do with animal sacrifices? Kill them. Kill them. So if you were a Jewish father, head of a household, and you brought a goat or a sheep or a bull down to the, tab- uh, to the temple or tabernacle uh, as payment for sin, or it was guilt offering, sin offering, burnt offering, whatever, uh, it was going to die. It was going to be killed with a knife by the priest And then it was going to be burnt up. Some of the meat might go to the Levites or the priests, but it was going to be destroyed. Killed and destroyed. And yet Paul's saying, offer all of who you are, Keith, to God as a living sacrifice. But there is a parallel between the living and the dying. And that's the completeness of it. The thoroughness of the death. You're not almost dead. You are completely dead. The animal is not almost dead. It's it's gone. It's dead. And in the same way, Paul is saying complete sacrifice. Total sacrifice. We use sacrifice today in such trivial ways. Say to your wife, all right, all right, I'll sacrifice this time. And we'll go to the restaurant of your choice. (laughs) One husband said, you know, my wife said that in order for our relationship to work well, we both have to make sacrifices. He said, but she wasn't really impressed with the dead goat I left in the kitchen. Living sacrifice. Completely all in for him. In other words, I'm not just a Christian. When I come in here and I sing Christian songs on a Sunday morning and I pray Christian prayers and I read Christian scriptures... I go home, out the door, 24-7. I am, I am for God 24-7. I am obeying God 24-7. Living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice. Now, again, if you were that Jewish head of the household and you were to bring a, an animal to the temple for, uh, to atone for you or your family's sin, you couldn't just go into the flock and herd say, yeah, there's a scrawny one, I'll take him. He's not going to bring much in the market anyway. The prescriptions for the animals were clear cut, the book of Leviticus and elsewhere. Without, without, whatever animal you pick should be without what? Without blemish, without defect. That means if you had a, um, a goat with a running sore or one that had been... Uh, chewed up by wolves and has a scar on his side or he can't see out of one eye or he has reproductive organs that have somehow been damaged, that is not, that, that, that goat doesn't qualify. It is to be without flaw, without blemish. Perfect. And what's interesting is when Jesus went to the cross and died a once-for-all death, I love that language in the book of Hebrews, died once for all, once for all, once for all, and no more animals having to be brought. Animals that can't take away sins anyway. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. But in order for Jesus to die for you, to be satisfying the payment for your sin, he had to be without defect, without blemish. Had to be Holy. Now, we know the word holy means other, it means set apart, but it also does mean moral perfection. And Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he was without what? He was without sin. Didn't sin even once. And so there's the negative side of it. Jesus didn't do anything bad. But there's a positive side of it as well. Look at John chapter 8. Uh, John chapter 8, beginning verse... The middle of verse twenty-eight. <clears throat> Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but say only what my father taught me, and the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I sometimes do what pleases him. No? What's it say? Always. You see the completeness of the sacrifice? I always do what pleases him. Jesus didn't sin, but he always did what pleased his father. And as a result, he qualified to die for you and for me. I want you to be, Paul says, God wants you to be a living sacrifice, and he wants you to be a holy sacrifice. Now, what would, be the, what would motive, motivate someone to be this all-in kind of servant of the Most High? Why have you, in all of your life, why, what has motivated you to obey people in authority over you? Well, it might be training and by the way parents don't forget to teach your children to honor authority as long as they live somebody's going to be an authority over them I don't care if they own their own business someday there's always going to be somebody in authority over them we need to train our children to be submissive to authority if they can't be submissive to authority they'll never be submissive to God So that's part of how we're training them to be submissive to God. Teach them to be submissive to parents, to be uh, in submission to the government, so forth. So people obey folks in authority because they've been trained that way. Or, or probably and, they're also submissive to authority because we are by nature self-protective. And so when I misbehaved when I was a kid... um, My parents used a yardstick on me. That was back in the days when yardsticks were thicker. That doesn't work today. And so I got a swat on the backside. I figured out um, as they got thinner and thinner, as I got older, uh, I figured out that wasn't going to be a plan for us as parents going forward. Um, But I was protective of myself. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get spanked or I didn't get grounded or something. And so we learn even as children, to submit to authority so that life goes better for us, things don't go bad for us. We submit to the uh, speed limit out here in Route 30 because we don't wanna get pulled over and pay a $200 fine. So we're self-protective, that makes us submit to authority. And we're self-serving. And so we submit to our supervisor on the job because we wanna get a raise, or because we want to get a promotion. So we're self-protective in that we want want to avoid the bad consequences, but also we are self-serving because we want to get some good things for ourselves. These are the motivations that drive us to say yes to those in authority over us. What should be the motivation for us in obeying God? And this is, where, this, is, this is where even Christians sometimes have a con, confused understanding. I, you know, I obey God because I'm afraid he's going to smack me around if I don't. Again, self-protective. Or I've been trained to do, submit to God. I'm really not happy about it, but I have to, I guess. And, and I submit to God because it, maybe if I submit to God, he'll make good things happen to me. And make no mistake about it, this is deeply ingrained in many Christian psyches. I've talked to countless Christians who when something goes bad in their lives, they think, oh, I must have disobeyed God somehow. And yet, what does the scriptures tell us? That our badness has already been paid for. Amen. Our badness has already been paid for. And we can't be good enough to get God to do something. Oh, okay, you're a good enough person, so I'll give you a child. Let's go back to those first two words in verse 1. And so. And so. Now, if you have another translation, it's likely it says, therefore. Therefore. And we know that in Scripture, anytime we say, well, really, in any kind of literature, when we see the word therefore, we want to ask ourselves, what is it there for? Because it's a word that's used to link what the author said before with what he's about to say. It, it's a word that's used to say, what I'm about to say is the result of what I've just said. And for Paul, he is referring back to the previous 11 chapters that he wrote in the book of Romans. In other words, what we read this morning is the result of 11 chapters of writing. And what did he write in those 11 chapters? The grand scheme of redemption. Romans chapter 1. God's goodness followed by man's rebellion. The fall of man. Romans chapter 2. God's judgment on sin. Romans chapter 3. God's plan to rescue rebel sinners by justifying them by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, it is by faith we access this, not by works. Romans chapter 6 and 7, that God in Christ has broken the power of sin in our lives. Romans chapter 8, a life of hope and a future in living, not by the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Be- Israel, because of its rebellion against God and rejection of the gospel has been set aside and Gentiles, like most of us, have been now grafted in. But there's a hope and a future for Israel in the, f- uh, in the days to come where many are going to come to faith in Christ. And Paul ends that chapter 11 with this benediction. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Wonderful prayer of worship. And now Paul is going to say, therefore, because of God having done all of this for you. All of this for me. Live our lives in obedience to him. And so. Romans chapter 3, this will just be kind of a synopsis of all of these chapters. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, some of my favorite uh, lines in Romans. Romans. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's no comma after that. There's no semicolon. There's what? Period. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God freely, independently, of his own choice and own volition, graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. You see, the reason that the the world has power in our lives is because we fail to marinate on God's good news. And when that happens, we buy into the world's fake news. And conversely, marinating on God's good news keeps us from buying the world's fake news. Because what does Paul say? Obeying God requires a new mind, right? Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And God's gonna change the way, and it's interesting, isn't it? There's a command there, but the command is not for us to change the way we think. The command is to let God do that. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God uh, change my thinking about my most, my My greatest passion is for my own pleasure. Change that, let God change that thinking to my greatest passion is God's glory. Let God change my thinking about disliking God's way to liking God's way, delighting in its benefits. Again, the world tells us if you go my way, you're gonna find the most pleasure and the most delight and the most satisfaction. And that's a lie. God says, I have crafted my way. You obey me for your good, not just for my glory, but for your good as well. So if God does the transformation, what's our response? In other words, how do we fulfill the command that's given to us here? Let God transform by the way you think. These are not new answers. The word of God retrains our thinking. The church Reinforces that training, and the Holy Spirit directs our use of that training. The Word, the Church, the Holy Spirit—again, it's all means of grace that we talk about over and over and over. If God is to transform us, our response is to be into the Word and let the Word retrain our thinking, and 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 upend those messages that the world gives us over and over. And then the church, the body of Christ, we so desperately need each other. We need each other. We need each other that the church would reinforce that training and then that the Holy Spirit would direct the use of that training. Now this morning, you're going to be given opportunities to go many places around this building for the rest of our service time. All kinds of different stations and there will be some of these stations that maybe based on what God has said to you this morning thus far, you're going to want to make a point to visit. For example, there's a station where you can go and kind of tangibly in your mind say, God, I want, I want you to tear down this particular idol in my life. There's another station just for confession of sin. It's another station of thanksgiving. And that might just be as you think about all that God has done for you, Romans 1 to 11. That you thank God that you don't have to take a goat down to the temple for your sin. And as the writer of the Hebrews says, your sin was never taken care of anyway. It was simply covered over. It was papered over. Maybe you want to thank God for that. Uh, you go to the giving station, and as you give your offering, say, I give you this not because you've twisted my arm, because, but because I am so grateful for what you did for me, and I want to be part of the means of letting others know this as, as well. So there might be some stations that you're going to want to go to this morning in response to what God has been saying to you. But as we close, what I'd like to invite you to do, and I realize that all of us have come to faith in Christ in different ways, through different people, with different understandings of the gospel. And unfortunately, one of the misunderstandings of the gospel that is uh, far more popular than it should be is that I prayed a prayer of faith in Jesus Christ and now I have a ticket to heaven. And that's the end of the story. In other words, God has fulfilled Um, God has fulfilled his commitment to me by saving me and giving me a ticket to heaven and I fulfilled my commitment to him by praying a prayer of faith. Now I can live as I please. Or we have have an idea today that is becoming increasingly popular in churches where God loves me and the fact that he loves me means that he is okay with however I live and whatever I think. And that's not true, brothers and sisters. I, I urge you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. And so for this final minute or so, I, I want to just have us all turn to the Lord and if you've never said that to God, God, I'm, I want to give my life to you as a living and holy sacrifice, then do it. This is your intention. Or maybe you know that's what God desires of you, but you've just been kind of going your own way. You say, God, I, I've been reminded this morning that the sacrifice I'm to make is to you, and it's all-consuming. It's total. And, and this morning, I'm, I'm recommitting to that. You just talk to God as you need As the Holy Spirit uh, leads you this morning, as you see fit, let's just pray. like the old hymn says, what Jesus has done for this soul of mine, a half has never been told. And whether this morning is a time for um, some of us to say, God, I've, been, uh, I've not been living my life as a sacrifice for you, um, And whether that's a first commitment or a 30th commitment, or whether it's just to, that we've been had the opportunity to again reflect on what you've done for us. We want to say thank you for your mercy and grace in Christ. That you have liberated us from trying desperately to be made right with you through killing animals and through ritual keeping of the law. And that we have been set free by the gracious work of Jesus Christ and our faith in Him, and yet there is this obedience of faith that Paul talks about at the beginning and end of Romans—the obedience of faith that faith rolls out obedience. That's, that's like the it's the uh, product of faith. And we'd pray for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters here this morning, Father. That that would mark us, that our faith would roll out obedience, not just in Sunday morning, moment by moment, day by day, for your glory. That when people talk to us and they see us, encounter us, whether in school or in, on the job or in the neighborhood, on the playing field, one of the things that would be unavoidable is that there. These people function with a different set of priorities. They're they're, they're marching to the beat of a different drum. I don't know what that is. I don't know who the drummer is. But they're distinct. I at least know that much. May we be distinct, Lord, as sacrifices. Sacrifices who are holy, and who are complete for you. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. So we pray in his name. Amen.